Remember the good old days before Microsoft Word had autosave? You'd type up some important document and then your computer would freeze and you'd lose hours of work just because you forgot to hit save? Well, that's what it's like going online without ExpressVPN. Every time you're connected to an unencrypted network, whether it's in an airport, a hotel, a cafe, or anywhere, your online data is not secure. Any person on that same network who knows what they're doing can gain access to your personal data. Bank logins, credit card details, passwords, all the stuff you don't want people seeing. Unfortunately, hacking has become much easier than it used to be. People don't even have to be exceptionally skilled to do it, and there's a lot of money to be made by selling your information on the dark web. ExpressVPN stops hackers from stealing your data by creating a secure, encrypted tunnel between your device and the internet. It's incredibly easy to use. Once the app is running, you literally click one button to get protected. And it works on your phone, laptop, tablet, and more, so you can stay protected on the go. I've been using ExpressVPN for a little while now, and I can rest easy knowing my info is safe and secure. I've heard horror stories of people who've been hacked, and it sounds like a massive pain to try to get any resolution in the aftermath, so I am not interested in finding out what that process is like. Secure your online data today by visiting expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. That's E-X-P-R-E-S-S-V-P-N dot com slash slashfilm, and you can get an extra three months free. expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. This year has gone by incredibly quickly, but it's always nice to pause and take stock. What's something you're proud of in 2024 so far? What's something you still want to accomplish this year? I know I'm guilty of falling into a routine and not always thinking about the bigger picture, but as the great Ferris Bueller once said, life moves pretty fast. If you don't stop and look around once in a while, you can miss it. So it's crucial to take a moment to celebrate your wins and make adjustments for the rest of the year. Therapy can help you contextualize your progress and set achievable goals for the next six months. As you surely know by now, it's not only for people who have experienced major trauma. Therapy is helpful in all kinds of ways, including learning positive coping skills and how to set boundaries. If you've been considering trying therapy, check out BetterHelp. It's fully online and was specifically designed to be flexible and customizable to your schedule. To get started, just fill out a brief questionnaire that matches you up with a licensed therapist, and you can switch therapists at any time for no additional charge. Take a moment. Visit BetterHelp.com FilmDaily today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P, dot com slash film daily. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Slash Film Daily for Friday, December 6, 2019. On today's episode, we're going to have a spoiler-filled discussion of The Mandalorian, Episode 5, entitled The Gunslinger. This is Slash Film Editor-in-Chief Peter Serrata, and joining me on today's podcast is Slash Film Weekend Editor Brad Oman. Hey, that's me. Okay, let's let's get into it. Uh, Brian Young couldn't join us today. Uh, I just spent a couple days with him at Walt Disney World, where I got to ride the new Rise of the Resistance ride at Galaxy's Edge. I'll put a link in the show notes if you want to see video of that. It is incredible. Like it, the whole experience of it is somewhat between like twenty and thirty minutes from like the the pre-show experiences to the ride itself. And the ride is like the most highly technological. It, it is mind blowing. So if you want to see some of that, uh, go to the video. I will link it in the show notes. Uh, but let's, let's talk about the Mandalorian. Let's talk about Mandalorian chapter five. And this is titled entitled the gunslinger. This is directed by Dave Filoni who directed the untitled pilot episode of the series. By the way, isn't that weird that the first episode didn't get a chapter title? I mean, sure. <laughs> no. I, or or do we think the chapter title of that's just the Mandalorian? 
Yeah, I feel like that. Yeah, because that's that's really what it is. It's just introducing that character. Yeah. Um, okay, so I, you know, I t- I mentioned last week I did a, a poll of what people thought was the best or yeah the best episode or the worst episode, and uh, the one that people largely on my Twitter feed, which is you know totally scientific and accurate in every way. Uh, thought was the worst episode was the pilot episode directed by Dave Filoni. Uh, even though I thought episode four was much, much worse. Uh, and I think we, I talked to you last week. You, I think you said four was worse than the pilot. Uh, yeah, I, I think probably. Yeah, I think yeah. I said I thought this was my least favorite episode. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, you know, Dave Filoni coming back. You know, I'm a huge fan of him from Star Wars Rebels. Uh, you liked Rebels as well, right? Yes, but I didn't stick with it very long, not because I didn't like it, just because I fell behind on it and just never had the time to catch up. But but from what I saw, I did I did enjoy it. Yeah. Filoni is incredible. You know, he's a master of animation. He is, uh, you know, this, he really feels like the next generation of George Lucas. Like, he really has that mythology built into him. And I've been a fan of his work for some time, and I've been so excited for him to get into live action. I, I will say that, you know, that first episode felt like the directorial debut of someone who had never directed live action but it was pretty decent considering that that was his directorial debut um this episode i think is a little bit better uh although it seems like it's getting quite a divisive response across the interweb so brad what what did you think of this episode um i thought it was okay i i wasn't in love with it i kind of felt like um it was doing a little too much of leaning into like giving fans like oh remember Tatooine remember <laughs> remember Mos Eisley Cantina uh, here's here's some lines you might remember from Star Wars too uh, so it, but it was it and was by the way it was like every minute there was something they were like oh did you remember the Dubacks do you remember the Tuscan Raiders oh he has yeah. a higher ground <laughs> yeah it was like a it was like a member berries episode of of the Mandalorian which is so weird because Dave Filoni is totally not that kind of person or at least like in his previous work like it's totally the opposite of what i expect from dave filoni yeah i don't know but it's i i think uh the the story was relatively interesting even if it didn't really offer anything new you know we've we've seen the 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 premise of a bounty hunter joining forces with another only to be betrayed and uh and then the another another bounty coming in and creating problems and all that kind of thing so there wasn't anything new here but you know the, the fact that it is star wars still made it you know appealing and i think maybe this might be the episode where we get the the most dialogue from the mandalorian oh hmm i didn't even think about that yeah because he talks a lot in this episode yeah uh i would agree there's probably too much fan service or maybe just the bad kind of fan service like i don't think fan service is necessarily bad but like some of this is bad um i would say and I'm wondering, I think we're going to probably disagree here because I know we've had disagreements on this topic in the past, Brad. But I think some of the the acting in this episode was subpar. And I don't – Dave Filoni is constantly casting some comedic actors in his his work. Like, you know, in the first episode, I had a bunch of uh, – a couple comedy actors. And I feel like it's just out of the tone of Star uh, Wars. I don't know. I mean, there are comedic performances – in Star Wars, for sure. Yeah. Um, I don't think Amy Sedaris is bad in this episode at, at all as the, you know, the um, 
uh, I guess the, the port port guide or oh, yeah. you know and that kind of thing, um, or the port supervisor, or whatever you want to call it. I, I think that she's good. You know, she's not being goofy necessarily. Uh, if anything, I was actually more disappointed and frustrated by the performance by Jake Cannavale, who is Bobby Cannavale's son. Yeah. Uh, he just he felt very wooden and inexperienced. Like, uh, well, he's obviously supposed he's a, to be inex- inexperienced. So, well, yeah, but it's it's one thing to be inexperienced as a bounty hunter. It's another thing to be inexperienced yeah. as an actor in a big <laughs> show like this. Um, like he felt like he was reading his lines for the first time while they were shooting. Um, so yeah, and I I liked the he, idea. He, of his Brad, shit. he was. That's the, how they keep this whole thing secret. Is they only hand the the script pages to the actor right before they're going to read them. That's how. Episode five is going to Tatooine, and we we had no idea about that. That's because you know that's secrecy. And honestly, this part was at, was more frustrating to me than the other fan service because the character itself um, itself of this rookie bounty hunter felt like something that came out of fan fiction. Like like some some fan thought up, oh man, it would be so cool if I was a bounty hunter and I teamed up with the Mandalorian and, and then I betray <laughs> him and then and like and then I get to become a legend. You know, we can talk a little bit more about that uh, later on while we go through the episode. I will say, you know, last week's episode was uh, inspired heavily by Seven Samurai. This week's episode is inspired a bit by uh, The Searchers. And Brian Young, who writes a weekly recap and review on SlashFilm.com, talks a bit about that in his piece. So I'll link that in the show notes so you can read that there. Um, But, yeah. Okay, let's jump into it. Let's, Let's discuss... Uh, this episode, or actually, before we discuss this episode, I, I I'll also agree with you that this episode, like, not much happens, and you know, let, let's we'll recap at the end of this episode, like, what we learned, where, you know, what what progressed. But okay, so this episode begins. The action is hot. The Razor Crest is being shot at. Um, there, I guess we're to assume that the guy in, chasing the Mandalorian is another bounty hunter that is after Baby Yoda. Do you think that was my impression? Yeah. Um, he says, I could bring you in warm or I could bring you in cold. And Mandalorian responds, that's my line. So has the Mandalorian become so infamous that his like lines are being quoted elsewhere around the galaxy? I mean, it, it would seem like his reputation precedes him and the, the guy's just trying to be cool by taking him in in that way. Yeah. Um, so he stops short and kills the attacker. Uh I you know I guess we're not going to find anything out about this new bounty hunter because he's dead. Uh, if Brian was here, I'd ask him what kind of ship he was flying. I couldn't recognize it, but uh, I'm, I'm sure you you have no idea what ship this was. No, it seemed like it had like the the shape, uh, the basic shape of an X wing with its uh, S foils closed, um, or maybe even like a, a Z ninety five headhunter. Yeah, uh, the character I apparently is named Riot Mar. And he's played by Rio Hackford. But, again, we'll never see him again. Actually, you, you, you know what? That is not true. There'll probably be a comic book or a novel somewhere that will give the backstory of that guy. So, But we'll probably never see him again in this this uh, series. So uh, then we get the chapter name here. Chapter 5 is called The Gunslinger. And that brings us to the question that we ask every week. Who is The Gunslinger? Is it The Mandalorian? Is it... Toro, is it Ming, or is it the guy that we're going to see at the very end of this episode, or is it all of them? I I would say that it's probably all except the guy at the end, since we don't really see if that guy at the end is a gunslinger. 
Um, so it yeah, does I, would, walk I would up say, with like those like boots that jingle. What are those called? I don't know. Like Christmas boots. Yeah, Christmas boots. <laughs> i'm sure that's what they're called uh do not write in now we don't need to know um okay so here's the big shocker of the episode uh we hear that most Isley tower are saying he's cleared to land and we're like what uh so you know most Isley is the home of anakin skywalker job of the hut watto sobovla uh the sarlacc pit uh owen and uh Hiding place of Luke Skywalker, Obi Wan Kenobi. It's it, it is the most legendary planet in all of the Star Wars mythology, right? Yeah, I mean that's that's exactly <laughs> where where Anakin and Luke came from. So that's where this whole thing started. So the question is, why Tatooine? Why does this episode bring him to Tatooine? I feel like. Do you think is there enough story reason for him to be here, or do you think it's like? You know, Dave Filoni being like, if I'm going to direct an episode of live action Star Wars, I want to, like, you know, film something on the set of the cantina. <laughs> because I feel like I if mean, I was going to direct Star Wars, I would I would be that. I'd be like, you know, let's maybe <laughs> if he, maybe if he thinks he can get like help there. I mean, because it is a wretched hive of scum and villainy. Yeah. So if he's looking for, a, uh, you know, a place to find help or even hide out, you know, it's always interesting to me, though, that like a place like Moss Eisley is where some people go to hide. But that's also where, like, the worst people are who you would think would cause the most trouble for you. So I, I've never really understood <laughs> why it's it's considered to be this haven for people like that. Yeah, it doesn't make much sense. Uh, as I said, I don't hate fan service when it's done right. And I think the problem here is that we randomly go end up at some planet that is, you know, let, you know the most iconic planet in Star Wars history. And we're seeing all the creatures and all the things and the, you know, the locations and it feels so coincidental and not enough unexpected. It's it's not like – it's like you said. Like if he was going to Mos Eisley because he needed to – you know, that that was a hive of scum and villainy and he needed to like, you know, you know get that mission that like he's assigned to – or, you know, he needs to get some money for a mission. Like that would make sense. But like he just randomly lands there. It, it does, I mean I don't necessarily know that it, – it, I mean if it's – random as opposed to like it being nearby and he knows yeah. that he can get help there i don't know i just feel something was a little off there but okay uh, l- let's move on from there he lands at a pad which looks like the same pad that the millennium falcon was uh there but the it's 35 this time instead of 94 uh the you know the open air style that han solo parked the millennium falcon in a new hope um i feel in you know this is you know the first of many uh, nods to fan service that we're going to get in this episode. The next of which are some pit droids from the prequels that come out, and uh, the Mandalorian like yells that he doesn't want, you know, the droids working on his ship. Uh, we get it. He doesn't like droids. <laughs> I'm kind of, I'm kind of surprised that we didn't get the Mandalorian having to tell someone that he doesn't take off his mask in this episode. <laughs> right um okay uh the eccentric mechanic who is named peli moto is played by amy sedaris where, where would we know her from uh so she was on a comedy central series a while back called strangers with candy um she's she's a, a pretty well-known uh com- comedian 
um, extremely funny and just, def- you know, one of those people who is constantly popping up in small character roles. Uh, you, you'll also probably see her around uh, this time of year because she plays the secretary of uh, James Kahn's uh, book publishing company in Elf. Oh, yeah. Um, and, you know, like I mentioned before, Floney likes to cast these comedic actors in Star Wars parts like Horatio, uh, Horatio Sands. Is that how you pronounce Horatio, it? Yeah. Yeah. Horatio Sands and Brian Posehn uh, was in that first episode. Yeah. Uh, her character and performance seems to me, you know, I kind of like and I don't like it. I'll, I'll say this, like the, the tone of it seems a little too comedic to me, but her look feels like something I would see like in a 70s or 80s movie or tv show like it almost I mean, she looks like she looks like ripley in aliens yeah it almost looks like something i would see in like the ewok movies and i i'm not yeah. sure if that's an insult or a compliment yeah it, it does feel the character does feel like a a video game character in in a way um but yeah but i, I it wasn't something that i disliked though yeah uh she tells him his ship's a mess and he offers her 500 imperial credits to fix the ship as a down payment uh, while he goes to look for, you know, some more money. Uh, she she calls him a womp rat because, you know, we need more references. And he sets up to find some more money. And where is he going to find some more money in an under-the-table gig in Mos Eisley? Of course, the Mos Eisley Cantina. But before that, we see the Mandalorian walking through the main center of Mos Eisley, which is really cool. It's, it's cool to see... This place, this famous place in Star Wars canon, uh, the last time we saw it on screen in the live action films was, you know, seven years prior. Um, And it looks like it hasn't changed that much on the outside. Although we do see that, like, he walks past, like, these stormtrooper helmets that are impaled, um, which is a shot they've shown in the trailer. And it's a particularly cool piece of imagery and Filoni is really good at that kind of thing. Uh, what do you think, what do you think the shot is supposed to be telling us? It's just, just like a tiny bit of world building. Yeah. It's just, it's the continued idea that the, the empire doesn't have a stronghold on these kinds of places as they used to. When stormtroopers were seen walking around Tatooine back in star Wars, a new hope, you know, they were enforcers. They were like, you know, police. Yeah. Uh, and obviously they really don't have any, you know, strength there anymore. Yeah. Who knows? One of those helmets could be like one of those uh, stormtroopers that was looking for the droids outside the cantina last time, and then a new hope. But that that, that also, oh. what were you gonna say? I was gonna say, did you feel like the shot when he walked into Mos Eisley, which which clearly echoes the shot of them uh, or into the cantina rather uh, that of the of Luke and them walking towards the cantina? I yeah, felt like it looked you very could tell that. that Oh yeah, I think it was, and I, I feel like you could tell that maybe that was one of those shots where they used that stagecraft technology for. Because I sincerely doubt they rebuilt that entire set. Oh, I I don't think they built any of this, but um, yeah, I don't know. I, I again, I want to see I want to see a behind the scenes of this once this whole you know season hits there. Uh, I, I wish they would do, do some kind of demonstration and invite press to like walk into a room where they've done it and and show how it works. Yeah, I mean, season two is shooting now. I wish we could go to set, but they're being so secretive uh, about yeah. this that I doubt that's going to happen. Okay, so what happens next? The the mechanic almost shoots Baby Yoda. Uh, the, the music in this episode feels like 
another I, I will say I, I like the music from this composer, especially in in this series. But each episode feels like completely its own thing. Like the music in this episode almost sounds like it's from like an 80s movie. Uh, yeah, there were there was a couple times where I felt like the music didn't entirely fit with the, the style of the show. Like um, this episode, it felt like he veered a lot more into fanfare style stuff instead of the more tribal sounds we, we've been hearing and i'm sure that's intentional um but it did feel a little bit off even though i still like the music it just didn't seem like it fit with the show as well as it has before yeah okay so we said moss isley cantina or the moss isley spaceport looks pretty much the same okay so the moss isley cantina this is a you know an iconic place from star wars history this is where we where han solo met luke skywalker obi-wan kenobi cut off an arm and you know, the most iconic of all, Greedo yelled McClunky. So uh, things have changed here. There's no droid scanner outside. There's now a droid bartender. Uh, You know, the droids were not allowed there before. There's no band playing. It seems like it's quite empty. I'm not sure if that's because it's like, you know, in the morning or something. (laughs) It's not like hopping place. Like Brad, what do you think has happened here? Uh, it's a good question, actually. I hadn't really thought about that. Uh, the bar is definitely less lively. Um, so I don't know, maybe people feel like they don't have to hide as much at Moss Eisley anymore because the empire, uh, has fallen. So maybe, maybe people are just much more out and about and not really worried about, uh, trying to stay hidden from the empire. See, this this is like... If you're going to return to the Mos Eisley Cantina and you're going to, like, do fan service, this is the stuff I wish they explored more is, like, you know, tell us something about, you know, Tatooine. Tell us, like, you know, how has it changed in the fall of that not, – not only the fall of the Empire, but also the fall of Jabba the Hutt, who was kind of, like, in control of that region, right? Like, how has that affected the spaceport? And, like, I feel like we get none of that. I'm sure that that's going to be coming – once we get introduced to Giancarlo Esposito's character, who we know is um, an officer from the Empire who is walking around with his own uh, clan of death troopers. So I feel like that when, whenever he shows up, that's going to be an episode where we learn more about exactly what people who used to be part of the Empire are doing and what their, their state is in the galaxy. For sure. Okay, so he's looking for some work under the table and some guy named Toro Calican, and this is played by Jake. Uh, the guy you mentioned before, he's the son of actor Bobby. Uh, Bobby Cannavale. Cannavale, yeah. Uh, he has a puck to give him. He, he's looking to bring in Fennec Sand? Shand? I don't know how to pronounce that. But basically, it's the character played by Ming-Na Wen. And uh, what are your thoughts on her as an actor? Uh, she... She's kind of like completed with this role. She's kind of completed the Disney trifecta. She, you know, voiced a Disney princess in Mulan. Uh, she is in, you know, the Marvel Cinematic Universe, kind of <laughs> Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. And now she's in Star Wars. Like, what else is there for her to complete in the Disney, like, I guess, a Pixar movie? Yeah. But um, sure. <laughs> what, 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 are you, what are your thoughts on her as, as an actress? Uh, I think she was good in in this episode. She didn't have a lot to do. She's definitely just a quick, uh, small guest star character. Um, I I've never been a huge fan of her as an actress. I feel like she can be 
a bit melodramatic a tv actress not not i I hate saying that because that sounds you know like a generalization but especially since tv has changed so much (laughs) but i would would say that television yeah i was gonna say i I would say it feels a bit networky which i know is still a generalization because but but like you know i feel like the big dramatic stuff that's like on you know cable and premium cable usually typically is a step above like the networky kind of stuff um but yeah uh okay so data shows that she's headed beyond the dune sea another reference uh mandalorian says that she's a top mercenary and wants nothing of it uh toro begs mandalorian uh it's his first job and he needs to succeed to get into the guild and basically offers up the entire amount of money uh and mando agrees i I, I know you mentioned this earlier that this is like this dynamic of a you know rookie and a seasoned bounty hunter teaming up together is something that we've seen before, but I feel like I think this dynamic in this show could have been explored further, but it seems very kind of like on the nose in the way they explore it here. Um, okay, so Mando returns to the ship and is scared uh, that Baby Yoda is missing. He wakes Baby, Baby Yoda up, who is being looked after by uh, the uh, mechanic. And um, Toro meets him outside with a couple speeder bikes. Uh, Mando kind of gives them a look. What do you expect? This isn't Corellia. Uh, they speed off, and she looks uh, down at Baby Yoda. Uh, so the, these are like bikes we've seen before. This is another reference. Uh, it almost looks like the one that like Anakin rides in Attack of the Clones. Um, the music here sounds very 80s movie. Uh, out in the middle of the sand dunes, they spot some Tuscan Raiders, you know, another reference on some Banthas. Another reference, uh, the, the Raiders sneak up on Toro, and uh, Mando uses some sign language to talk to them. Is this the first time that we've seen a communication with Tuscan Raiders? Uh, as far as I know, unless there's something in the animated side of star Wars that I am forgetting. Yeah, I think it is. And I, you know, George Lucas, I think kind of based the Tuscan Raiders off of like native Americans. Uh, and this kind of seems like an evolution of that, which I guess nowadays is probably politically incorrect, but uh, I, I'm wondering, you know, is this a known version of sign language or is this like, you know, another, you know, a Star Wars version of, uh, you know, but also I'm wondering, you know, Mandalorian seems to know how to communicate with them. The Tusken Raiders are natives of Tatooine. We, we have never seen them off that planet. Like that they are only, they only live on the, in, in the desert of Tatooine. So how does Min- Mando know how to communicate with them? I mean, bounty hunters are usually pretty, seasoned in a variety of cultures and dealing with a lot of different people. So I imagine over the years that he has learned to communicate with plenty of different species. Um, But it could very well be, you know, something that is tied to his childhood, something that he learned growing up too. Yeah. Uh, It just makes me wonder if he has a past in Tatooine um, or if that's going to even be explored. I I know the show has shown uh, Jawas, the first off-world Jawas. Before the show, there was never a Jawa that was not on Tatooine. So, so maybe we will find out that Tusken Raiders are, you know, more prevalent across the galaxy. So, uh, okay, Mando offers up Toro's new 
binoculars uh, in exchange for passage across the land. And they speed off to another isolated part of the sand dunes and they find a dewback with uh, someone who has been downed. He's on the ground. Uh, you know, dewback, another reference. Uh, Mando gets close to investigate. He turns the person over and finds this is another bounty hunter with a beeping fob. Do you think this bounty hunter was after Baby Yoda, or was she was he after uh, Ming's character? That's a good question. It could it could be either or. I, I feel like maybe more than likely it was probably for Baby Yoda because uh, Toro had a puck for um, yeah for for Fennec. So that I, I feel like that's probably indicative that there was only one person after that job yeah that's a good point like it's kind of established in that first episode that usually it's only one person's given a puck for a bounty yeah and it was very unusual that a lot of people got pucks for baby yoda um so okay uh and this guy's wearing like a a jacket that almost looks like a resistance like jacket which makes me wonder if i don't know how he's connected is he connected to the rebel alliance i don't know i guess we'll never find out uh but mandalorian quickly realizes that this is like a setup of some sort and i'm with all the references in this episode i was, I was kind of surprised that he didn't say this is, it's a trap yeah <laughs> because i mean why not um so a sniper bullet from mk rifle hit mando in the beskar and mando decides to wait until dark to make a move since she has the high grounds another reference uh we see ming for the first time she's under her mask is this like any kind of mask we've seen before in star wars canon um it does kind of resemble the masks that some of the sith inquisitors wear uh but i can't imagine that this character has ties to the sith it doesn't really seem like it if anything it's just another kind of bounty hunter gear that we've seen there, there's been a lot of different kinds of bounty hunters with various kinds of armor and stuff like that so that that's really what this just seems like yeah I'll say that it looks cool. And uh, and, and now that it's dark, um, Toro tries to wake the Mandalorian up, and, but he's out, and Toro pulls a gun on him, a gunslinger, and uh, Mando's like, are you done? It's a funny funny moment. Uh, Mando's plan is to ride towards her and use flash charges to blind her. Uh, the charges interfere with her night vision helmet, and she has to take that off. Uh, she hits Mando... Uh, hits Mando's speeder and he goes flying. Uh, she has his, her sights on him, but Toro comes up from behind. Not so fast. Fennec, uh, hand to hand combat fight. This feels very TV, right? Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Um, Mando breaks up the fight and, uh, she surrenders. Uh, she's cuffed and, uh, Mando goes in search of, or, and he goes in search of the blaster. Uh, she hasn't seen Mando, a Mandalorian in a long time. Uh, she mentioned something about an event happening on a planet Navarro. And at first we don't know what she's talking about, but it seems very clear that she's talking about the event with all the Mandalorians on that planet with grief Karga that we saw in what episode three. So we yeah. finally get a name to that planet. That's Navarro, which I don't think has appeared ever in star Wars canon. So it's a new, new planet. Um, Mando wants to go find the dewback they saw, and uh, Toro says that he'll watch her, which seems like a bad idea. Um, 
he tells her that he tells him that she's no good to us dead. So keep her alive. Uh, she offers him twice the amount of money for her bounty, which is the same thing that happened in the pilot episode. It almost feels like John Favreau, who's writing these, like just reuses a lot of the same kind of like ideas. Um, I mean, they are bounty hunters. There's, yeah. you know, these things happen all the time. <laughs> yeah. Uh, he's not interested because he wants entrance into the guild and she tells him that Mando's armor alone is worth much more in her, than her bounty and also if he brought the guild uh, the traitor his name would be legendary because uh, you know word of him and the baby have reached you know around the galaxy apparently uh, how can we be sure that he's the one and she says that the word is not that he, he the word is that he has a child with him. So uh, my question to you is, like, how would people know this? Like, how has word gotten around the galaxy of like this this small little bounty mission? I mean, you got to figure if that many bounty hunters have a fob and they're trying to track this thing. Bounty hunters talk among each other. And yeah. I'm sure that information about them is being passed around all over the galaxy. Uh, she asks him to free her from the cuffs. Instead, he shoots her, leaves uh, on a speeder with the grand plans to bring Mando into the guild. Uh, this is kind of a surprise, right? Like, I feel like when they were promoting the show, they were promoting that Taika Waititi was going to have a big role and that she was going to have a big role and that uh, this show was going to have some diversity to it. And it feels like a lot of the, like, you know... It, Brian Young writes on the site that um, it's kind of like the old Western shows where you'd have a person in just for one episode and they'd come in and like die like a big name, you know, or bigger name celeb uh, like actor. Uh, but I do you think it's a little bit disingenuous that we've been kind of promoted that like all these like this diverse cast and they're kind of like just come in and are out like, you know, minutes later. No, because, I mean, even, the rest of the cast that is still alive is still very much diverse. I mean, Pedro Pascal is yeah. a, a Chilean actor. You know, Carl Weathers is still alive as, as Grief Karga. So there's there's a lot of, you know, other cast members still that are, are living. So And, and you know, if, if the show is drawing inspiration from Westerns, that's kind of the idea, you know, is having this rotating, you know, thing with different actors popping up as guest stars. And some of them die, some of them appear and disappear, maybe yeah. pop up later. Uh, we've talked about before how we probably haven't seen the last of IG-11, so. I hope so. Uh, so Mando returns on Dubak, finds her dead. He returns to town, finds the speeder outside the mechanics. Toro has her at gunpoint and is holding Baby Yoda. Uh, if they killed Baby Yoda at that point, I would be like, out. Um, but uh, Toro basically, you know, monologues, to use the term from Incredibles. And uh, Mando uses this opportunity to get the upper hand and take Toro out. Uh, Pelly tells Mando to take Toro out to the to uh, Beggar's Canyon, which is another reference. And uh, Baby Yoda is missing, and but is found hiding behind something, and she consoles him. I I do think that this relationship, like, on paper seems, like, cuter than it does in this episode. Like, it seems like she's, like, you know, taking care of this baby, but she's so woefully unaware of how much power this baby has and how, you know how much caring that the baby doesn't need. 
Sure, but that's also that is also kind of what makes it yeah. amusing. And plus, we do get a moment too where she calls out the Mandalorian, being like, "You don't know what you're doing. Like, this is not how you're <laughs> supposed to take care of a kid like this." <laughs> For sure, uh, Mando hands her a bunch of money. Where did he get this money? I I I guess it would stand to reason that maybe he got it from the bounty for for Fennec's character somehow. Um, but we, oh, because he probably handed Fennec's character in. No, but Fennec's still there because we I mean, see that in the end. Oh, you know, oh yeah, yeah, that's true. Well, then, or yeah, I don't know. That's a good question. Yeah, it's very unclear. Uh, the Razor Crest takes off uh, someone wearing a cape. And some jingling spurs, I think you'd call them, on his boots. Almost like a cowboy comes up to Ming's character, cut to black. Uh, so the question here is, is she dead? Like, I think she's dead, right? Yeah. It, I feel like it would be odd for her to survive that. <laughs> uh, then what does this character want with her? There's a chance that maybe this person was also after her and now will be going after the person who killed her. Who, yeah, who killed her because he's mad that he doesn't get to take them in uh, themselves. I'm actually wondering if this character is going to be uh, Giancarlo Esposito's character because we do see uh, that character wearing a cape in the trailer. Uh, and he d- and he does have armor and stuff on, so I I wouldn't be surprised if this is where we start heading in, uh, in that direction. That that was definitely my first thought, and then my uh, like fourth or fifth thought is, could it be Boba Fett or could it be a guy who has Fett's armor? You know, they, uh, someone got it in aftermath the book. I don't think either of that's going to happen, or you know, at least not in this season. Um, okay, so we're at the end of this episode. Uh, what I feel like one of my complaints about this episode and this like the last couple episodes is so little actually really happens like almost nothing we I guess we have a new enemy in the form of of, of, of uh, Fennec right a a new ally in the form of Pelly we have uh, this new mysterious gunslinger but it, it it almost seems like each of these episodes is just like a pit stop like you know an episodic. Like just adventure, and I, I, I kind of want the main thrust of the storyline to be, you know, hitting more, more of a speed. Like you know, it should be we should be punching it into, you know, a, a faster speed at this point. Uh, yeah, and I think I feel like now that we ha- um, have been teased the arrival of uh, Moff Gideon, Giancarlo Esposito's character, that that will be take us into this last leg of episodes. And I think that will be the overarching story that helps uh, finish out this season. Yeah. Is is there any baby Yoda stuff in this episode that is going to be meme worthy? I feel like that was also like a thing that like drops. I don't feel like there was anything that was like super cute. Like, and that had been a thing for the last few episodes that like every appearance of baby Yoda was like, just like adorable. Yeah, he didn't really do anything particularly funny or remarkable in this one where you could turn it into a meme. Uh, you know, the closest thing is probably just seeing him just walk down the, the ship, you know, the ship's uh, ramp. Yeah. Uh, d- anything we missed, Brad? Anything you want to say about this episode? Um, I, I don't think so. I got I got to say, uh, one of the things I think that annoyed me as far as just the general fan service is that 
kind of bold for them to put uh, Toro in the same the same seat that Han Solo was sitting in the cantina, like almost like they're trying to draw a comparison between them. And it's like, mm, nope, not today. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely not today. Uh, Just Spiegel on the site has an article. The Mandalorian uses one of cinema's oldest techniques to bring characters to life. I'll link that in the show notes along with Brian's uh, article. I talked to him uh, briefly about this episode, and he seemed to like this was his least favorite episode of the season so far. Uh, and he has a review on the site. Uh, it says the Mandalorian returns to a familiar planet in the Gunslinger. In the Gunslinger, an episode that may prove controversial among fans. So you can check out both of those articles on SlashFilm.com. Uh, Brad, where can we find more of your work online? Always on SlashFilm.com. Also on Twitter at Ethan underscore Anderton. And my own podcast, Go Flicks Yourself, available on iTunes and other podcasting platforms. You can find me always on SlashFilm.com. You can find me on Twitter at Peter Serretta. You can find that video to my trip to the new ride, Rise of the Resistance. I'll link that in the show notes. SlashFilm Daily is published every weekday on iTunes, Google, Overcast, Spotify, all the popular podcast apps. Please feel free to send your feedback, questions, comments, concerns to us at Peter at SlashFilm.com. And please rate and read this podcast on iTunes. Tell your friends. Spread the word. And we'll see you on Monday. <laughs>